So the Apostle Paul said, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come with smooth and persuasive words. I just spoke plainly to you because I didn't want your confidence to rest on human wisdom, but on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That was a big thing for Paul. He didn't want this young church, as, as many good things as Paul had to say, he didn't want them to have an error where they put confidence in the teachings of a man. He said, I want you to have confidence in God's imminent, meaning close at hand, pressing down on you, the reality of his presence in your life. That was his concern. So he intentionally kind of handicapped his own ability to be a public speaker and said, you know, let's see what God does. And let's put our confidence in that. It's kind of an interesting, an interesting thing today. And if, and if you think the sermon isn't very good today, I'm intentionally handicapping it so you won't only kidding. I have a faith story to share on behalf of someone from our church who is in a small group who, is, uh, who did not want to uh, be made known, but this person uh, is reading through the River Dwellers book and really trying to take steps of faith to obey God when he speaks. So this person was in a small group, a different small group, and somebody in the group had a very serious um, health issue where they, they had really bad tendonitis, and their tendons were all inflamed, and they, it was a waitress, and she was unable to work. Uh, and so that was a really serious problem. I had three kids, and for about almost two months, month and a half, two months, she was having this, this pain, so she wasn't working at all. And uh, this person from our church who was in the group, having, having read, you know, listened to the voice of God, she really felt an impression, God wants me to... We should, we should pray for her as a group. And so, so not, not even knowing anyone else in the group, I'm so proud of this person, not even really knowing the people in the group very well, said, hey, can we, can we pray for her right now? Lay hands on her and pray for her. And people are like, okay, we could do that, you know. <laughs> this is a good icebreaker. Let's lay hands on each other, you know. Kind of a very intimate thing. But, uh, you know, the scriptures talk about the laying on of hands. So they, they prayed for her. And that night, uh, the girl... The girl texted the next day to, to my friend. But that night she had just the worst pain she's ever had. It was excruciating, apparently, when she was trying to fall asleep. And the next morning when she woke up, the pain was gone. It was a complete healing, which is not an unusual story. Uh, many times when people are prayed for for healing, things can get worse and then, then be relieved. It's very interesting. Um, I remember when Jesus healed a certain person in the Bible who was blind, he, he did one pass, and then the guy could like see outlines of people walking around. And then Jesus prayed again, and his sight was completely restored. Like, Jesus, why didn't you just do it all at one time? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know why God chooses to do things one way or another way, but it's just very encouraging. I wanted to share that testimony with you, that we, we serve a God who is imminent, and that means he's close at hand. Uh, he is pressing down. The reality of who he is is pressing down. And he is powerful. He is sovereign. He is a king. He's still speaking. He's still moving. He's still working. Uh, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So I wanted to encourage you with that today. It's a pretty cool story. So uh, when I was a, a kid, I was kind of a clown in my family. I don't know if you can imagine that being true. But that was kind of my thing. My parents liked bringing me to social things because I just do funny things and everyone could laugh. Maybe cringe sometimes. I think when I became a teenager, I became more cringy, cringeworthy than anything, you know. It just gets worse. But that was, that was kind of my role. And I, I memorized things all the time, just really easily. So 
one of my tricks, one of my party tricks as a very young man, maybe six years old, uh, was I memorized a Bob Vila commercial on television. I still know it. You want to hear it? <laughs> Hi. I'm Bob Vila. I like to help people turn their houses into their dream houses, like David and Marianne Ford. They love this place, but they still have room for improvement. Yeah, that's right, Bob. For one thing, the kitchen is too dark. Maybe some track lighting would help. Oh, that's an idea. That's a whole infomercial that I watched. I watched a live television as a child. That was a thank you, thank you. As a six-year-old, I, I, my parents would be like, hey, you bring Nathan up here, you know? And he'll do this commercial. Uh, but I memorize stuff all the time. My grandfather is an avid bird enthusiast. And in the 90s or 80s or whatever it was, when I was very young, he was on his porch with a little reel-to-reel. You remember those little tape recorders? A little blue tape recorder, reel-to-reel. Put the reels on there, the spools. And it would play bird calls. And the birds would come. And I loved that about my grandpa. I'd sit out there with him. And we'd have the birds come. But I memorized the, not only the bird calls, but what was said around the bird calls. And so that was my other party trick, I'd say. The topsy-turvy white-breasted nuthatch now greets our ears with its ank ank or wicker-like call, which takes the place of song in the spring. <laughs> you know. So this is, uh, I feel really, I just feel like I need to share my gifting with you so that, you're, so that your confidence would rest on my ability to remember random things that are useless. So this is my skill. My next-door neighbor had, uh, was, uh, they were kind of believers, and I was friends with their kids, and, and they had, I'd stay overnight at their house, and she had this big old corny Christian magnet on her fridge with, like, angels with trumpets and everything you can imagine, like Christian imagery, and it was a, a, little, a little saying, and uh, I was bored. I, I was constantly moving, so I memorized the magnet, and so it said... This world is not my home, although it seems to be. My home is with my God in the place he's made for me. He's coming back real soon. The time is very, very clear. The signs are very clear. So when the trumpet sounds, I'll be out of here. (laughs) Um, I call this evacuation theology. Uh, It's not bad, but it does give this impression of, all right, Christians, let's get in the fallout shelter. Let's lock the door. And let's, let's just wait till we are evacuated from this wretched earth, you know. Um, it it kind of gives that, gives that flavor, though it's not a bad thing. And, uh, and I think that this evacuation theology is, is a popular view. And to tell you the truth, I'm just as excited about being with Jesus, Jesus as the next Christian. Like, I, I feel that, uh, that the positives of that theology very much, even though the poem is really not that good. Uh, Paul said, I would rather be you know, absent from the body and present with Christ. So Paul's having this internal argument. You probably, probably that would cause someone to, you know, something's wrong with Paul. We need to call the authorities, make sure he's okay. But he was saying, you know, I'd rather be with Jesus, uh, be out of the body and be present with Christ, but it's better for me to stay because I have, the Lord has fruitful labor for me to do on the earth. So Paul had this idea, like, I'd love to be with Jesus. That'd be great. Interestingly, uh, even though the Bible does talk about uh, heaven having many rooms, and it says, Jesus says, in my Father's mansion there are many rooms. If this were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The Bible talks about this kind of thing. But the, the Bible doesn't always, uh, doesn't really use this phrase, heaven is my home, uh, very, very often. The idea is there, but the, theologically, the Bible doesn't really talk about heaven is your home. 
Um, unless it's talking about heaven being our citizenship, you know? So we're on earth, and heaven is our citizenship. In Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's good, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. So we are, we're on the earth. Our citizenship is in, hef- is in heaven as believers of Jesus Christ. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. That's a beautiful image. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the hope of Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everywhere that you can imagine. Uh, And he is going to give us, uh, transform our lowly bodies so it will be like his glorious resurrection body. So this, this, is, this is the idea of heaven that we have in the Bible, this idea of this, this other realm, this other place. Uh, Jesus is preparing a place for us. Uh, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. According to the Bible's general teaching, heaven and earth are two realms. I don't know if you've really thought about it. Often we hear the word heaven, we, we hear, and we kind of put on it everything we think heaven is. Uh, without really taking the time to take a look at what the Bible says. But the Bible's general teaching is heaven and earth are two realms. Heaven, in, in theology, in the Bible, is God's space. You know, he's, he's there. Uh, and earth in the Bible is kind of our stomping grounds. This is where we're doing our ministry. But our citizenship is with heaven in Christ. But God's future plan, uh, when, when all of this thing called human history, has rolled to its end, and Jesus decides it's the end of the world. God's future plan is to bring heaven and earth together and create a new heaven and a new earth. You ever thought about that? It's in the Bible. It's a really interesting concept. God's future plan is to bring heaven and earth together and create a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the earth is going to work. It's not going to be broken anymore by the fall by sin and death, sickness, um, all the things that are destroying our world today, they're not going to be there in the new earth. Because Jesus is going to make all things new. Uh, this is something that Jesus talks about in the Bible, and this is something that uh, John, the, the guy who wrote Revelation, talks about. Uh, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, in Matthew 24. And then in Revelation, a little bit of a longer passage, uh, Revelation 21, 1-5. Beautiful passage. John the Revelator says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, just like Jesus said there would be. He said, This will pass away, but my word will endure. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And that says this awesome uh, phrase. Then he who was seated on the throne, Jesus Christ, said, I am making everything new. That's a cool thing. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, the, the, the current heaven and the current earth will pass away, and Jesus will make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to work. He's going to bring these two things together, and they're going to be under his reign, and he is going to 
uh, continue to rule and reign in, in, uh, in an ultimate way. Um, generally, when the Bible talks about this concept of heaven and earth, they're like two halves of the same thing. You have, um, you have like one reality that's in the earthly realm and another that's happening in the heavenly realm. And you see this a lot in prophecy. Uh, in the birth of Jesus in Luke 2 is also told in Revelation 12. There's a different reality happening in a different dimension, the heavenly realm, at the same time as Jesus' birth is happening in the, in the earthly realm. So if you read that story, there's all kinds of crazy imagery going on. Basically, in the heavenly realm, there's a battle happening uh, where, they're, where the, the enemy is trying to derail the whole redemption of the world thing by, you know, getting rid of, of Jesus, more or less. And then in the earthly realm, you see that this is happening. You know, Herod issues a decree to kill all the male babies. You know, they're trying to find the wise men to get to Jesus so that Herod wants to kill Jesus. And you see it being acted out in the heavenly realm. But in, in, uh, in the Bible, this is very much the image of the earthly realm and heavenly realm that's talked about. There's something happening in one uh, that's also happening in another. I read this week, it's kind of like the idea of a uh, go- golf ball, if you like golf. I don't like golf. Many of you like golf. But there's that hard exterior, right? But inside, there's this tight, spongy rubber bandy kind of stuff. And that's what, when you hit the ball, it really gives it the energy to fly forward. And that's kind of how it is. There's heaven and earth. They are two parts of a similar reality. And there's always stuff happening in both realms. And one day, one day, Jesus will renew all of creation, meaning both heaven and earth. He will renew both of those things. And he will join them together and he will rule in an ultimate way. That's why we say Jesus is our coming king. The crown in our logo up there, uh, Christ, our coming king. He's our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming king. When Jesus comes, he'll set everything right. Uh, this brings us to our passage in Acts 1, 8 or 9 to 14. If you have a Bible, you'd like to join along with all that background in mind. I think it's fascinating just to take a look at what the Bible says about different things and to take some of our, our, our understandings and let the Bible speak to them and help us understand them better. So I, I really enjoyed uh, looking at what, what it means here. In, in Acts 1, uh, 9 to 14, uh, it says this, After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. After he'd said what? Well, he had just given the Great Commission. Uh, He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So after he said that, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus Christ was the first person ever to be resurrected from the dead, receive a glorified body, courtesy of God, (laughs) who he was, and ascend from our realm on the earth into God's realm in heaven. He's the first person ever to do that. It leaves you kind of dying to know what happened next. What happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? And interestingly, uh, in Daniel, it tells us uh, what happened. And Daniel was written about 600 years before uh, Jesus was born. 
550, 600 years, but it's a, it's a prophetic book that actually spells out a bunch of things that were going to happen in Christ and also in the, in the future. And some of the things that are in Daniel haven't even happened yet, but, but many of the prophecies have been fulfilled. But Daniel is a book of, of prophecy, and uh, in Daniel 7, 9 to 14, we find out what happened uh, in the heavenly realm when Jesus ascended. This is pretty cool stuff. It's like we have the, the inside edge on some information here. It says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who is the Ancient of Days in the Bible? Anyone? It's God Almighty, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the Ancient of Days. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Any math majors? <laughs> That's a lot of people. The court was seated. The books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. Uh, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. This is in the heavenly realm. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus describes himself in Mark, and he's alluding to how he's described in Daniel. One like a son of man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Again, this passage was written 550, 600 years before Jesus was born. But it describes in, in, in excellent detail what happened after Jesus' ascension in Acts 1 and what was going on in the heavenly realms. And what it tells us is that he was given all authority by God. Jesus was given all authority by God. And then we know later, later in the book of Acts that Jesus gives that authority to the people when he pours out his spirit on all men and women. So the question is, how is this passage, Acts 1, 9 to 14, about Jesus' ascension, his resurrection, how is this good news for us today? How does this make sense in our earthly existence uh, as, we, as we walk out our day-to-day lives? Because we're not going to be locking ourselves in a bunker waiting for Jesus to come. We have work to be done. There's work that needs to happen. And so how does this resurrection stuff uh, and, and this ascension stuff uh, apply to us today? Philippians 3.20, uh, once again, I want to read this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And notice the authority that it talks about, the same authority that it talks about in Daniel, the same authority uh, that Jesus was given by God. This is, first of all, a, a hope for us that we have a resurrection coming like Jesus. Uh, and the second part of this is in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Remember what I said. 
Jesus was the first person to be resurrected, given a glorified body, and then ascend into, hev- into the heavenly realm. This is, he's the first time that it ever happened. So Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits meaning that people would follow him. He's the first one. You know, he's the first in a series of, of people that will follow him in the same way. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We have a hope of resurrection. And when he comes, the coming king, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power of the evil one. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. This is an amazing uh, hope that we have. We have a hope that won't disappoint because of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus has not only given us the hope of resurrection after we die as Christians, when he comes back, Jesus has also opened the way to heaven that, Jesus, uh, that we, we can enjoy the blessings of God in the heavenly realms, in the present realm in which we live on earth. Uh, and, and Jesus uh, has not left us as orphans. You know, when he sent his Holy Spirit, he gave us uh, his very self living within us, his very spirit living within us. And uh, someday, Jesus will destroy death. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, because all the former things have passed away. Uh, The good news for us is, number one, that we have a hope of resurrection, that death is not the final word for Christians. Uh, We will be resurrected like him. He was the first fruit uh, of the resurrection. But the second uh, great hope we have is that because Jesus ascended into the heavenly realms, he opened the way to um, our... And he, he is like an anchor in the heavenly realm for us. And when we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, we're doing something very specific as Christians. We're doing something very specific. We are asking God, let your kingdom come. Remember, Jesus was given all authority by God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're doing something very specific. We are calling down from the heavenly realm all of the resources of heaven that Jesus has secured for us when we pray. And so when we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is what we're doing. We're calling down. God, let the earth fall into order in the way that the heavenly realm is in order. Let, uh, let the, the fullness of what you have done in defeating death, in defeating pain and sickness, what you've already done on the cross. We know Satan is a defeated foe. But let, let the fullness of what you've done, the authority that you've been given, let that be leveraged in our present day, right now in which we live. So that we, when we pray for people, for instance, they're healed sometimes. So when we, when we need something, give us to see our daily bread, you know, he provides it. Um, think about all the different testimonies we've heard today. These are things that Jesus is giving us that are supernatural, uh, that are a sign of the kingdom that he is going to bring in fullness someday. 
It's not fully realized yet, but Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And on earth. His kingdom has come, and these things that are going to be completed when he comes back, our soon-coming king, we already have them. Uh, Christians already have them in, in the present age in which we live. We can ask for bold things. And I think that this is what the disciples had in mind at the end of the Acts passage. In Acts 1, we'll read the very end here to close. In Acts 1.12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem right after they heard that Jesus had ascended into heaven. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. These disciples were joined together in a single-hearted cry to God uh, at this time in prayer. They were motivated by the conviction that Jesus, who had ascended, in the same way that he went, the people said to them as ascension, so he will come back. They were motivated uh, by this thought, that Jesus would be coming back, and they were remembering, we need to pray, we need to seek God. They began to intercede with great passion that the blessings of God would be exercised on earth as they waited for God. And what, what we'll see in Acts is the fruit of that seeking of God. We see in Acts the, the authority of Jesus Christ and the overcoming of death that Jesus did. He dealt a death blow to Satan on the cross. We see that kingdom come in a very powerful way in Acts. And Jesus' authority is brought to bear on the earth in the book of Acts. And let me tell you, we live between two ages. We live, we live between, you know, the present age in which we live and the age to come where Jesus will come back. We are still in this time where we need to pray single-heartedly with expectation that Jesus will do things. Because <laughs> Jesus is working to redeem the earth. You think of the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, uh, proclaiming the good news, teaching everything that I've commanded, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. The mission is still the same as what the disciples had in the beginning. And we need to join in single-hearted prayer, asking Jesus, our anchor in the heavenly realm, Jesus, let your healing flow. Uh, the healing that will be completed when, Jesus, when you come back and fulfill your kingdom as the coming king, let that healing flow now in our present age. Um, let the power of God that Paul talks about come now bring conviction, bring, bring, uh, bring words, uh, bring the kingdom. Let there be redemption. Let there be restoration. Uh, speak to us. Fill us. Guide us. Help us to live this out in your power, not in our frail humanity. Uh, that our confidence might rest on God's power, not in human wisdom. It makes a big difference for us, Jesus' resurrection and ascension. We have a hope that cannot disappoint because Jesus rose again, and we will also rise again and be like him. And we also have this way open where Jesus has brought his kingdom in power. And we can go to the Father boldly and seek him, and his imminent presence is pressing down on us. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. And let's just seek the Lord in prayer. Uh, ask him for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. Uh, God loves to give good gifts to his children. Uh, the, the example that God gives is, which of you parents 
if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a snake. You know, no parent's going to do that. Even a, even a pretty bad parent probably wouldn't do that. Um, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so this is a time to seek the Lord with a great expectation. God wants to give good gifts to his children. So let's listen to his voice as we come together in worship. In the same way that the disciples were praying single-heartedly and expectantly when Jesus ascended into heaven and they gathered together, I just invite you to pray more expectantly. The Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, which is a mind-blowing. Outside of our timeline, it also says that we have, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, currently. So in God's timeline, we are already seated with the resurrected Christ in the heavenly realms as Christians. We are not citizens of the earth. We are citizens of heaven. And so it just, it makes so much sense to think of God as being imminent because he is with us, he's pressing down, he cares, he knows. Uh, so let's just pray to him expectantly, believing and, uh, and knowing that he is a good father. We dwell underneath a friendly sky. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to be empowered and emboldened in your walk with Christ, that you would be filled to all the measure and fullness of God found in Jesus Christ that you would be filled with the Spirit, and that you would know the Father's voice and the Father's touch on your life. I uh, bless you in, in Jesus' name. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.